0: Hi, my friends. It's me, Dave. Tonight, we were meant to have a brand new episode. Unfortunately, there was a family incident that occurred earlier. Thankfully, everything is fine now. Everybody's safe and sound, but it distracted me from my day. My guest had canceled earlier today for tonight, and I did not have a chance to book. That gives me an opening, though, to do something that I should have done a few weeks ago. We're going to revisit an episode from the 4th of July. It was Mike Coleman. His comical online name is the Naked Bigfoot. For those of you that did not get a chance to see or hear this story, it was one of my favorite episodes from this first season of the Paranormal 60. Mike encountered something and delved into an aspect of the supernatural that took its toll. Mike lost his life recently because of this incident, because he believes that it affected and impacted him mentally and physically. I'd like to revisit that episode now in his honor and in his memory. We will be back tomorrow with a brand new episode. We'll also be back Wednesday with a special holiday episode that's brand new. And then Friday, make sure you're back here to join us for the 100th episode of the best in paranormal programming. We'll be back with the paranormal 60 news until then, please enjoy this episode. And pay attention to the message. Thank you. We live in an incredible world, one made of many cultures, belief systems, religions, theories, ideologies. What happens when these ideologies and belief systems are brought to the new world, America? How are they translated? What do they mean and what do they become? Voodoo, hoodoo, and southern legends and lore, that's our topic today. And our guest, well, he knows more than most what it means to deal with these aspects of the supernatural. Today is a cautionary tale, but also a day of enlightenment. Thank you for joining us and being a part of our world as we bring you the very best in paranormal programming. This is the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader. I'm not going
1: to stand here and listen
0: to this below me. He won't know. He doesn't stand for below me. Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. Supernatural, perhaps. Maloney, perhaps not. Hello, my little darklings, and I hope that you are having a great, safe, and happy Fourth of July celebration for those of you in the United States, to those of you in England. <laughs> we won! We won! <laughs> Get over it. Why are you all still so bitter? Actually, we want to thank our friends all around the world as we celebrate all of our independence, our ability to live the lives to the fullest extent, to be able to explore and examine cultures, ideologies, theories, and themes. That's what life is about, living these remarkable moments. And I tell you that to tell you this, make sure to join me in August along with my good friends Shane Pittman and Chris Fleming for Hell in the Cell at Old Joliet State Prison. That's right, you get a chance to ghost hunt with Shane Pittman, myself, Chris Fleming. We have four designated areas throughout one of the most haunted prisons in America. We get to do it for two nights. We have one day and two-day VIP tickets still available. This takes place the first weekend in August, the 5th and 6th. It's going to be a lot of fun. Get to do a lot of investigating and try new techniques, new ideas, and new theories in the realm of the paranormal. You've also got two guys that are very proficient with EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. We're going to do our best to communicate with the spirits of some of the most notorious ghosts in the world. But we'll do it in a protective an enriching environment that all of us can go into safely and leave with confidence, knowing that we will all go home safe to our families. So if you're interested in finally getting off the couch, instead of just listening to the tales of the paranormal, and you want to inject yourself into this, then make sure you sign up. There's a link for it on today's program guide. It's that simple. I make it that simple. All you have to do is follow the program guide, click on the link, and you too can be a part of our Hell in the Cell weekend at Old Joliet State Prison. I also have an important message for you. Our friend Chris Fleming, who is a psychic medium, you saw him on the Curse of Lizzie Borden special with me. He was part of um, Paranormal State. He was on Psychic Kids with Chip Coffee. He was on Dead Famous. He was on Help My House is Haunted. Spooky Scotland is the new series he's a part of. You've seen him on Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, Paranormal Challenge. This guy gets around. Why? Because he's one of the best in the field. But about 10, 11 years ago, he suffered a debilitating accident, an accident that has left him in chronic neck and head pain. And he has gotten to the end of his rope trying to figure out ways to alleviate this pain. There is work that can be done, but he has to go out of state to an out-of-network provider in order to get this taken care of. And unfortunately, like a lot of us in the United States and around the world, COVID hit and depleted a lot of our money and a lot of our savings. He's at the point that he needs about $12,000 in order to be able to go get this procedure and hopefully alleviate these mind-bending pains that he has been dealing with for the last decade. If it is in your heart to do so, could you please reach out? There's a link for it in today's program guide to his GoFundMe page. I've been posting it on social media, and I know many people are reticent because they're fearful that it is a hack or a fake link. It is a legitimate link, and we're doing our best to help Chris Fleming. So if you can help... $1, $5, $500, $1,000. $1, $5, $500, $1,000. Maybe you want to be his benefactor and pay all $12,000. You certainly can, um, but it's up to you. And, and anything you can do is going to go a long way to help him out. We've got, I think, around $1,500 collected so far. We are a long way away, but I know that with our audience and the generosity and kind hearts of the people listening to the show, they can help out. So please consider it, if you will. Chris Fleming is in our in need. Uh, that's why we're doing more and more of these events. If you cannot just make a donation, come out to the events because the money that we raise at these events are going to help Chris Fleming with his uh, finances and, and what he needs too. So please take care of that while you can. Look for the link for both the event, for the Hell in the Cell, and for uh, his GoFundMe on today's page. All right. Our guest today uh, came to me through a very roundabout way. This last weekend, I was on a program called Bald and Bonkers and had a good time. A lot of laughs, and we talked the supernatural and paranormal and just had, had a lot of fun. And uh, stalking in the audience somewhere in the high reeds was Mike the Naked Bigfoot. Well, that's his online name. We got a chance to talk with him, and after the show, he popped on, and the two of us got a chance to uh, shoot the breeze for a little bit here. He has a unique story to share and a very impactful story. Plus, he's a a font of knowledge regarding uh, voodoo, hoodoo, some of the southern legends and lore, so we're going to be able to pick his brain and get into this information. I do want to tell you there is going to be some hard parts of this discussion because our guest knows firsthand that there are repercussions For our actions, and that the choices we make in life can follow us through this world and the next. So please pay attention, and I hope that you'll learn today and have as much fun getting to know this gentleman as I have, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Coleman is our guest today, and I'm going to bring him on right now. Mike, the Naked Bigfoot. I need to know first
1: of all, where did that come from? That is a very good. I get asked that all the time, Mr. Schrader. I get asked that constantly. (laughs) I was taught. Um, by someone much wiser than me to always um, find the humor and what scares you the most in life um, or mm-hmm. something you find very frightening. And I had a um, I've had some issues with Bigfoot on my property um, that were quite terrifying and continue to be kind wow. of terrifying. Sure. So when I decided to confront it, I um, And began to share my story out there, so uh, I would not be, me and my family wouldn't be the only ones living and dealing with it in silence here on the mountainside, uh, that I adopted the moniker Mike the Naked Bigfoot. So it has nothing to do with me being nude or walking around as a nudist in the mountainside.
0: (laughs) That's not what I saw on video the other day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my Pornhub account does leak out on occasion.
0: (laughs) Only furry fans? Your only furry fans page, yeah, I saw that too. Oh, my only
1: so fans you, page!
0: Whew. You decided to embrace the fun of of what scared you, and uh, you became Mike the Naked the Bigfoot. Naked I bigfoot. love that because it well, makes everybody
1: gosh, she, laugh who sees it. So
0: it certainly does. And now we can't troll people and just lay out the bait and not talk a little bit about this. Although I brought you on for voodoo and hoodoo and other so- Southern legends <laughs> and lore. You said you have a big foot on your property and that uh, it's been quite terrifying. All right. Now you, are we allowed to say where you're located?
1: I actually live in a, our farm um, is located mm-hmm. in blue Ridge, Virginia, uh, which is are we, I have, um several hundred acres is the size of the property but uh only a couple um about 30 acres of it is workable farm property. uh most Mike of it
0: was extends- kind enough to send us a photograph of that property and his family <laughs> right there in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew it. I knew that was is, gonna make- uh, <laughs> is Uncle Cletus using the pan to call the Bigfoot is that the wood knocks that he thought he was doing? <laughs>
1: He, he's trying to he's trying to set up a date with Bigfoot right now with that. So. I see.
0: I'm sorry, I could not resist after Friday's show and having fun with that, and then find out you're from the Appalachians and up in the hillbilly oh, region geez. and coast. I, I we had to have a little fun. So Mike knew
1: that was coming. I I showed him before you the show. You have to. You have to because you know some of it is actually real. I mean, there's some communities like that. Not all of them, but there's a lot, there's a number of communities like that out there. So
0: well, Mike, let me tell you, first of all, don't feel bad because this, this is just not an Appalachian community. I've lived <laughs> in Illinois and Minnesota. I've had family in Alabama and in Florida. I've had family in Wisconsin and every town I go in seems to have an uncle Cletus and an aunt Irma. <laughs> And Greek Granny out in the front yard doing similar things to that. So it's, uh, <laughs> don't feel like you're being alienated or, or, uh, oh, it's all good because of your, I, I realize
1: the banjo and mouth harp extends far into the, um, parts of the United States. So <laughs>
0: that is true. Yeah. We've all got those uh, inner demons. Uh, all right. So you've got, uh, you've got this property. Um, <laughs> talk to me a little bit about, uh, the, the Bigfoot experiences and, and at what age did you become aware of it and to what extent? <laughs>
1: Well, it was during, after my, um, my third marriage. <laughs> okay. All right. We wow. were looking Apropos at us, is there are three
0: strikes on my can of monsters. We're about to talk about <laughs> Bigfoot. So go.
1: We're going to be talking about monsters.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. We
1: decided to, to settle down and my family, uh, both sides of my family, my mother's and my father's side of my family's uh, had extensive properties, both in Virginia North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, and parts of West Virginia. uh mm-hmm. farming proper farm properties in there. Okay. because um, of course if you live in the mountains you there's that much farmland. And they raised many things. They raised tobacco, they raised um grains, you name it, they raised a little bit of everything. So but when the time came for us to settle down, I remembered um this property that um uh, my great aunt Inez, she was the the last member of my family who lived on this property. And she had gotten to the point where she could no longer um, afford to stay on the property. So she left the property. Um, me and my wife came in, we took over the property um, and decided to renovate the property and make it, turn it back into a working farm, renovate the house, a whole nine yards. Well, we decided to, um, well, I decided to, uh, when we talk about a Creek in the mountains, especially out here in Appalachia, we talk about a creek. It's usually, if you guys look at it, you'll think river, <laughs> but to us, it's our creek. <laughs> okay. So you'll hear me say creek a lot, but it's it's actually the size of a river, a good river too, right out of the mountains, uh, across the river, uh, um, past the old orchard here in our, our you know, and on our property that was here on this property for ever since the property sure. was developed, this old orchard was there. And Me and some friends, we rented some heavy equipment and we were going to actually build another house place back um, actually deeper into the mountains, deeper against the mountains. And we had to cross the creek to get to it. Uh, Over the course of a few days, we'd go in with the big equipment, the bulldozers, the earth movers, you name it. Uh, We were beginning to clear the property out, clear the trees, make room, um, and starting to level the ground. And one morning we went in. Uh, we crossed the creek, hiked up to the where, where it was at, and it was about a it, it was close to almost an hour hour and a half hike um, from the main house to get to it, um, where we were clearing the property. We started mm-hmm. finding tree limbs that were jammed into uh, the cockpit of the equipment and uh, and shoved through the uh, glass and windshields of some of the equipment. We were finding large wow. rocks that, that were on the that were actually on the equipment itself. Uh, the equipment was surrounded by broken trees and broken limbs. When I see broken trees, we're talking about good saplings that were snapped in half. Some of them were actually pulled up and they were stacked all the way around the equipment. Now I do thought- have to ask,
0: let, let me, let me stop you real quick here. Because again, yeah. Mike, I grew up with a, a big font of knowledge at my fingertips as well. I was always able to watch movies and kind of pick through them and realize and pick up things that I could carry with me in the future. Things that would help me realize that, what might appear one way might really be another. And after watching the Jungle Book and how bears scratch their backs on trees and can bend those trees way back, Mike, is there any chance that maybe it's just bears bending and scratching, you know, looking for the bear necessities, the simple bear necessities? How do we know it's not natural animals using the trees and snapping the saplings because
1: of their own size and weight? Some of these branches that were broken were Mm -hmm. up in oak that were broken out of the oak trees that were I'm about I'm over six feet tall. These branches, these branches, and I say branches and I'm saying it, you know, I'm not talking about a really thin branch. I'm talking about limbs uh, actually went six feet further above my head where they were broken off. at, Um, And they were not just snapped off. They were wrenched off and pulled down. So not
0: fat opossum just dragging him down?
1: No, not a fat possum and not a fat rat, <laughs> not a fat coon out there either. It was, okay. It All was, right. It was definitely. A, a Again, thing. I
0: have to ask the skeptic side of this. Uh, you know, you understand this part please of the do. conversation. Yeah. So go ahead.
1: No, please ask. Please question it because.
0: You know what I can hear right now, Mike? I can hear the angry keyboards <laughs> going like right, crazy right now going, Dave, would you just <laughs> shut up and let Mike tell
1: his story? no all you right so please tell questions. your story no, no i know but I I, I, i'm people, just setting it up dude i want people to ask questions mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, i leave so much out when i tell the story and and when people ask questions i re, it helps me remember what happened there well we thought it was the locals um, that came in because when we took over the property um, the property was actually going to go up for a tax auction when we took it over we came in and paid the taxes on it and pulled it out of auction. And we, we, we ticked off a lot of some of the local um, farmers and landowners who were cubby this property. They wanted this property like no tomorrow because it's beautiful property out here and they were going to get it for a steal. So we thought it was them. So we cleaned everything off. Um, And left and did what we had to do that day, get what equipment that was operational that wasn't torn up. And remember this was rental equipment. So I was just thinking of how much money I was going to have to spend on, um, yeah, right. Good grief. (laughs) This equipment that was being torn up out there. We came back the next day uh, early in the morning, just when the sun came up, same thing, except for it was less limbs and more very, very large rocks, uh, that were stacked all over the equipment. Um, that were thrown into the the cabs of the various pieces of equipment. Um, something had bent one of the arms on one of the smaller backhoes on one of the equipment had bent it um, to where it wasn't usable anymore. And I looked over at my friend. His he went by the name Duty. Please do not ask me to explain why his nickname was Duty. Um I will not. Duty to and the me.
0: Naked Bigfoot. That sounds like a nineteen eighties TV detective show, if ever I've heard one. Well, duty this week on Duty and the Naked D- Bigfoot.
1: Well, I was mad. I was beginning to sure. I was beginning to erupt out there in the woods when Duty grabbed my, my my shoulder. He said, We're not alone, dude. I said, really? Is it those? And I, I got really loud. I said, is it those SOBs from the town? <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said, dude, we're not alone. And I stopped. Because when he did that, because Judy's a man of very few words. So if he uses a full coherent sentence, you have to stop and go, something's going on. He's, something's right. bothering him. He sounded scared when he said that. And we in I turned around and looked at him and his eyes were huge like saucers and I followed where he was looking at and right at our distance at some of the old at some of the fern glens around there we saw something it was bipedal it was four to six these things moved they were fast I always thought it was four but he claimed it he saw six out there Mm. and they were going behind the trees and they remember these if you ever been to an old oak grove forest, an old growth forest how big our trees are they're flip, flipping huge yeah um, and we started hearing grunts coming from the woods where they were something ah, ah coming at us and i saw oh, rock was by my head <laughs> <laughs> and wow really me, something was out there throwing rocks and that's when we smelled it for the first time it smelled it like um an outhouse mixed with a, a wet horse um it just you made said your- horse let's just horse. clarify that horse okay horse equine <laughs> right <laughs> um And something started snapping. You could hear branches and trees snapping in the woods around us. And it was getting louder and louder and louder. And it was moving around us. Whatever was out there, the four to six, whatever they were, they were spreading out and they were surrounding us. Good grief. And I'm getting goosebumps visualizing it with what's going on. My body is covered in goosebumps right now. And I'm getting cold thinking about it again. And he started backing away. And I just looked at him and said, dude, don't run. I whispered, just don't run. Because he was about to take off like a scared rabbit. Don't run. And we backed out till we got to the edge of one of the the hillocks out there. Um, And nothing was behind us at that point. We didn't hear any noise behind us. But we kept seeing things in the distance. These these man-looking shapes in the distance. um, Dashing behind the trees and moving around the trees. Grunting as loud as they could. And breaking things as loud as I could, and we started backing down that hillside till we got near the creek again, and we flew across that creek. Now, when we went back the next day, um, again it was the equipment was again torn. Up. Nothing was usable at that point. Um, the hydraulics had been pulled off. Um, wow! They did they, not want you messing in their area. You well, know, that was the mystery that my family left me. Come to find out, um, this was all related to my family i didn't find that out so much later after i had to become have um, had my scooby gang moment and go into and wrench it out of members of my family about why this was happening on the property because after that for about a month we started having animals uh, being torn apart on our property uh, we would had chickens with their, we had chickens with their heads and legs pulled off uh, we would had goats with their legs pulled off um, Some animals were just missing, just disappeared off the property, leaving a bloody pool there. We were having pieces of the barns and outbuildings were being pulled off. We had doors ripped open, chains broken. Um, At the time, I had to leave for a few days, and my wife saw something on, we have a wraparound um, porch. She saw something about one o'clock in the morning that woke her up that was stomping outside on the porch, and she saw something with very large red eyes looking back in the window at her. At the time, um,
0: now when you say red eyes, is this eye shine that's red,
1: or does it appear to almost be like Superman's glowing? Yeah, red not, eyes? not not this was you know these were not goblins from Krypton. Let me just put it that way. All right, okay, <laughs> these were not ninjas from Krypton out there on the property, All right. and. It went on for after that first month was the most intense activity that we had the the ripping and tearing of the property um my son um would never leave at night nobody who came to our property would stay after the sun went down they left we had them leave we have we own several businesses most of them stationed here at the house the offices are here on the property so are you still on this property yes okay i won't give this this is this is this is my property. This is, yeah. this is this is this is not our. This is part of our blood, and that's part of the problem. That ended up being part of the problem. Um, it took years later, and me going back and talking to and, dude, again, we never went out of the house. But before the sun came up, we had, at the cornfields. Some of our farmhands would see things when the sun came up. They were they'd see things that were they thought it was a bear at first in the cornfields until the bear stood up and it wasn't a bear. And I had a number of farmhands who did quit. Um, (sighs) they were terrified to be on the property. Um, and they left because they got an overwhelming sense of dread that they were always being watched out there on the, on on the property. They were constantly being watched.
0: Did you end up giving up the idea of, of cultivating and doing more work back there? Obviously because they were violent.
1: we, We abandoned that property and I took a huge hit monetarily from it. Um, well, remember now, me when mentioned- you
0: say you up uh, wait now, when you say you abandon that property, it means you abandon cultivating it and, and yes, making something more of it, but you still own that property. Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: I still own it. So d-
0: did mind. that help bring some peace to the nature well, creatures? I had,
1: well, I had ticked them off, apparently. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. By doing that. Yeah. Well, I had to find out because I went to my great aunt, Inez, who was still alive. She was, at, she's at home and the, the lady just passed away recently. She lived to be 103 or something. I mean, wow. she lived a very long life and she lived a good part of her life here on this property. Um, and I said, I knew, and she was still with it. She never, you know, went, she never went uh, nutty. She never went to, she never had old age fruitcakeism. She was still with it. She was still quite coherent.
0: Um, I, I believe that's a at, Virginia only word, folks. So uh, you know, please send your hate mail directly to Mike, the naked bigfoot. <laughs> for old age fruitcakey, nutty is it.
1: <laughs> I never said the naked Bigfoot was politically correct. <laughs> that um, is true. All right. <laughs> and I kept asking her, she wouldn't she normally she was very talkative, but when I started talking about the property, I said, Inez, have you ever seen anything on the property? And she ignored me. And I said, there's something there. And it's scaring my family and my kids. And they're afraid for their life. She finally lifted up her hand and grabbed my wrist. And she just said, you didn't cut down the apple tree, did you? And I, get, I got chills now thinking how she said it too, because it was straight out of a horror movie the way she said it. And nice. I looked at her and I said, what about the apple tree? Is. what about that? And she shut up. She clammed up again, and she didn't speak anymore until after we left, and she wouldn't speak to us well, anymore. Did left. you
0: tear down the apple tree?
1: No, the apple tree she was referring to. We almost came close to tearing it down. It was the only surviving tree that was in what I assumed was an orchard on the property at its time. Okay. Um, it's a very, very old tree, but apparently, as I came to find out in my investigations, and I'm I'm glossing over a lot of things right now. So, there's a lot that I'm glossing over, and some people who know me will be pissed off that I'm glossing over it, but they know the whole story. And for those who wonder not know the whole story, they may contact me about the whole story I'm happy to talk about it all day and all night. But apparently that tree was part of a pact that my family had with whatever lived in the woods. It went back to Indian times in the mountains. It went back to deals that were made, and that tree was part of a blood pact. That tree was planted. There as a part of a blood pact. Um, one of my degrees is in, is in, of course, agriculture. And I'm able, pretty good at identifying species of fruit trees, you know, plants around me and everything else. And I grew up having to learn, how, you know, the names of plants and their uses and stuff like that that grew around, the, the, around our, our, our house and in our woods. But no one, as of, and this is out of, we actually had some people from Virginia Tech look at it too. They were not able to identify the genus of apple tree and the type of apple tree that this apple was this tree produces apples all at once no birds will nest in it no insects will go to it no grass will grow within two feet of it it is filled with apples every year no apple ever touches the ground no squirrel ever steals those apples in the course of one night every one of those apples will disappear off of that tree never to be seen again Get out of here, Mike. Something comes. And right now it's full of apples right now. Um, and I expect them to be gone probably by the end of the week. You
0: uh, know what cause... everybody's thinking right now, right? <laughs> They're thinking that is complete and utter nonsense. And I don't mean to sound disrespectful I no, mean because it is no. so, that is so you
1: incredible. Should. You should, because right, you right. can imagine how I felt when I went back to, and retraced my roots and talked to some of the, the record keepers of my family and they- sure told me the story and they showed me some of the diaries and journals. that this tree was put there as a as a a boundary line um and as an agreement with that that lived in the woods and once i understood everything i began to apologize to them i would go into the woods stand alone in the woods and i said i know you're there i know you can hear me i didn't understand but I understand now. I did this quite a bit. I also took things in the woods with me that we grow on our farm. Um, some of the, the older chickens that we were going to eat anyway, that we would take them out. We would slaughter them and take them to the woods. We would take fruits from our actual um, fruit trees that we had grown on the property. Um, I took bags of sugar out there and we would leave it at the edge of the property where the creek was at. We would leave it there. And every time I left it, I would always say the same thing. I didn't understand. I don't, I didn't understand. I understand now. And the activity died down, the violent activity died down. They still do patrol our property. Um, we can still catch glimpses of them uh, at night, especially sun up, uh from d- dusk or dawn, we can catch sight of them. Uh, in the cornfield in the distance, we can see the tops of their heads sometimes. Uh, we can go out into the cornfield and find places where they've sat down at in the cornfield and crushed down the corn. You've wow. got a, we've got an old rye field that we see a lot of them that's growing up with honeysuckle that one of our farm hands saw something that looked like a, an ape. He just saw part of its face staring out of a patch of honeysuckle at him and he literally crapped himself and and quit the same day after he saw it, but it was not aggressive towards him when he saw it. So they've gone from being a aggressive to passive um but i have a feeling they're being very wary of us at the same time um sure they're waiting for us to make the wrong move again to break the to break the peace that my family had them. right that it took me a long time to reestablish with them and it, it was frightening absolutely terrifying to be able to to finally realize what it was and being able to deal with it then
0: mike can i ask a very I know this will sound disingenuous, and I don't mean it to be, but there have been many claims that in a lot of those areas, especially in the Appalachian, that there are wild people, that there are feral people that live there. Um, that's true. And, and when you, uh, muck with their territory, they get very violent. Do you believe that Bigfoot is truly a bipedal hairy hominid creature, or are they wild people wearing pelts of animals that might be living in that area? I I know it sounds weird, but I, I just, I need to ask.
1: No, no, that's a really good question. That's actually an incredibly good question. And the answer straight up is no because a wild hairy man wouldn't be able to put the claw marks that appear on our um, chicken coops. They, they would not pull up. They would not be pulling up our fig trees in our backyard.
0: Right. Um, There's that. Yeah. Good points. (laughs) Do you think that these, first of all, do you believe that these wild men of, of the woods and the forest, actually exist do they coexist with these beings
1: i think they do and i think they leave each other alone for the most part uh we had uh my uncle ray when i still lived up in the mountains he used to talk about some of the people who lived out there um up in some of the old shit he called them the shale caves higher up from where we lived out up in the mountains he said there are Mm. people who live up there he said but don't you go up there Mm. he said don't you ever go up there because you'll never come back um, but he said they always they lived up on that hillside in those shale caves, and they had absolutely zero contact with anybody that lived in my community. Now, on occasion, my great granny Ola, she would um, she would always leave the grapes on her grapevines. She'd always leave the grapes that faced towards the the trail that led up to the shale caves. She would leave grapes on that side, and it. She did it for them so that they wanted to come down there and pick those grapes. They could have those grapes.
0: For the wild people or
1: the big fo- Yeah, for both. the wild people. Okay. Sometimes both because she had me also bring little baskets of food that she'd make in the oven. She'd have me bring little baskets of food down to um, when I was still in the mountains. She'd have mm-hmm. me bring them at different locations around on the property and leave them. And she'd say, just leave it there, turn around, and don't look back. <laughs> That's remarkable.
0: <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> what an uh, just a fascinating culture and belief system and and it's not just a belief system this isn't just something based on fantasy this is uh, obviously interactions native american indigenous tribes have talked about these large hairy they they refer to them as another tribe but they're tribes that they don't usually mess with they're very protective of the legend they're very protective of the way they deal with them and uh, it seems like for very good reason because if you Cross them or upset them, it can turn out horrible for everybody involved.
1: They're dangerous. Um, When I see shows and hear people talk about, oh, they're little creatures of nature and flowers and rainbows and unicorns and sunshine, I said, I've never seen a unicorn want to pull somebody's legs off and shove them off their butt. I mean, that's... The- well, could it be,
0: though, that there are... I mean, there. listen, there are different people, too. I mean, do you think that there are different species of these beings that are more passive, more nature, elemental, sprite-like? Because there are some... Look at these kids that go... Little kids that have vanished in the woods. They're gone for four days. There's no way a child of that age could survive. And then they find them perfectly fine, and they talk about their bear friend. And again, I go back to Baloo the bear from Jungle Book. Obviously, that's, you know... Uh, illusions and, and a lot of great imaginations, but do you think that these Bigfoot creatures are you know that there are varieties and you get into those are the hill people Bigfoot that are just they don't want the revenuers or or the you know the law up there finding their stills. Uh, could such it just they a, be there a little bit background more aggressive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I except the main china background too. Oh that's my gosh. Yeah. We've we we i have had a working still on the property, but we're not gonna talk that's a story for another day. But <laughs>
0: I appreciate it. Uh, but we uh, we've talked a little bit about your, your Bigfoot experiences in that, um, which was cool. It wasn't even really an expected part of this. And I want to, I want to have you back on. No, no, no. I want to have you back on and, and go deeper into this conversation as well, but we've got a lot to cover with the other legends and lore and voodoo and hoodoo. Today's episode is brought to you by better help. What's the first thing that you'd do if say you had an extra hour in your day, would you go for a run? H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on. And if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. Betterhelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide.
1: Haunted Magazine, issue 34, is out June 7th. Featuring exclusive interviews by Chris Fleming and Gail Porter about their new show, Spooked Scotland. Richard Estep investigates the Sally House. Sam Baltrušis shares a personal story about Salem. Kate Ray explores the gnomes of Woolerton Hall. The origins of Dracula by Neil Storey. And there's much, much more. Order in print from the Haunted Magazine website or visit W. H. Smith in the UK, Barnes & Noble in the US, and outlets in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Also available in app stores. And remember, don't be normal,
0: be paranormal. Mike Coleman is our guest today, and uh, he has a a brand new book that will be coming out later on this year. I want to make sure I get it correct. The Naked Truth, A Mountain Boy's Paranormal Journey and uh, we're going to have that uh, book and link for it as soon as it becomes available. It'll be in our shop, so you can go check out Amazon.com. Well, you can check out uh, Paranormal60.com. Click on my shop tab. It'll take you into my Amazon shop, and there you can find all the great books and stories that we uh, deliver. And Mike, you're expecting that book to come out a little bit later on this year, maybe around October, November?
1: November November-ish right now, yeah. We had a do a few rewrites and a, a few little um, adjustments.
0: Okay, <laughs> let's let's talk Southern legend and lore, voodoo and hoodoo. But I, one thing that's I've always wanted to know more about. I have family from Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, and I would go down to visit. And I would drive by these areas where I saw trees hanging mm-hmm. from them. And I, you know, growing up in Illinois. The most I would see is uh, you know some sneakers wrapped around some high tension cords. Right after school, kids would throw their shoes up and it would tangle up around the, the power cords and then they would hang there for eternity. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are still places where I grew up where I can still see the sneakers from when I was a kid hanging there. And I you know I always thought oh that's just a weird rite of passage, right? Uh, but what what are these bottle trees? What can you tell me about them?
1: Bottle trees are absolutely fascinating. I get, I actually have been asked about that a, a number of times over the years about bottle trees because we have several bottle trees here in our yard now. <laughs> okay. But it is an old, um, uh, really, it had its roots originally um, in a voodoo tradition, but it found its way into some, as, a, as with most religions, uh, as they evolve and merge into other people's belief systems mm-hmm. and um evolved into a more of a hoodoo tradition which is uh southern magic it's not just southern magic but it it just sounds better when you say southern so I've, n- I've never met somebody from um, north dakota who was a root worker or anything um but bottle trees mm-hmm. depending on the color of the bottle um as I learned, uh, which it's meant to dispel ghosts. It's meant to to bottle up misfortune that's brought on by uh, spirits, whether they be good or bad. Um, the blue is for the worst of the worst. Uh, you could have the amber mixed with the clear bottles, whatever they have available to would be uh, sort of a passive way uh, to where a bad spirit or something that sought to do you harm could not pass that way. Now, it originated in a Voodoo tradition of hmm. uh, bad spirits. Uh, we're going to talk about
0: All of a sudden, your audio just kicked about a 100 miles back, and it sounds like you're inside a bottle talking to us right now. Oh, shit. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Come out of the bottle, Mike. Come out. I'm rubbing the bottle to set you free. It's like I dream a genie right now. Can you hear me now? I can't. You are 100 miles away. Why don't I let you disconnect for a second and reconnect and hopefully. Oh, go ahead and talk real quick. Can you hear me now? Now you sound a little muffled, but you're coming up out of the bottle slowly. Okay. So I. I don't know if your fingers over a hole, but why don't you just reboot it and come back into the uh, the chat room here with me, and we'll we'll continue our conversation. Um, so we'll do that. We'll give. Uh, I'll, I'll boot Mike out so that he can can. Uh, remove himself and uh, hopefully get back into the chat room and and, uh, continue our story. We're talking about voodoo, hoodoo, Southern legend, and lore. We spent the first half of the show surprisingly talking about Bigfoot and the strange things that are happening on Mike's property. Uh, Fascinating stories. Uh, Really love hearing that kind of stuff, especially when that wasn't what I expected to be part of the program. We will talk a little bit more about the, um, the work that Mike has done in voodoo and hoodoo and healing work and the toll that it's taken on him. Um, when I was introduced to Mike this weekend, uh, I was told that he is dealing with severe health issues because of his work in this and the repercussions of dealing with this. So that is a big portion of why I wanted to have Mike on the program with us to share this font of knowledge insight. Now I see that he's popped back in. Let's see if we've got a better audio from a mic. Let me hear you.
1: Do I sound better?
0: Much better. Yeah, it's weird. We start talking about bottles, and you literally sounded like you were talking from inside a glass bottle. Mr. Right.
1: Schrader, really quick on a side note, yes. really, really fast before we get back on topic. Um, every time I start talking about this part of my life mm-hmm. online, something always happens. Always happens. <laughs> okay. Happens on, my, happens on my end. It'll happen on the per- other person's end. Um, last time it, it happened, it, it shut down someone's house. It shut down all the electronics in their house, and they had to reboot everything and bring it back right, Well, up Let in. me say
0: this. Here's the good news, Mike. With StreamYard and what we use, if I suddenly vanish and you're still left there, you just tell stories until you want to quit. and uh, <laughs> Then walk away, and I will edit it later, but we will let it go. If I get knocked offline, the beauty of StreamYard is you're still alive. You get to continue having this conversation. So If suddenly... <laughs> I disappear like that. You're still alive. I'm not. So don't worry about it. All right. Um, so these, these bottle trees now, let me ask you one thing when you were talking about the blue or for like the bad of the, you know, the worst of the spirits down South, I understand they paint the ceiling of your porches blue as a way to confuse spirits that they think that's heavenward, right? That it, they're it,
1: it keeps wayward spirits. It keeps the, the evil from entering your home or, um, It's it it happens. It still happens. It's a um it's a it's a big tradition in the South. It's a big tradition in the South, especially those who those who um who are of the I don't want to say paranormal descent because it's not for those who are believers, let me put it that way. For those who are those who are
0: it's
1: not even superstition, um for for a lot of people, it's that they believe that if they do this um, then they will not have this misfortune, uh, visit them. Okay. So, so do you think the blue bottles
0: play into the same thing as that blue sky you paint on the inside of your porches? That same kind of
1: concept. and And when the light glints off of it, um, they, it does confuse them, but it also frightens them because they may get bound within the bottle itself for a short period of time. Um, (laughs) <laughs> it should we you, uh,
0: this I again don't mean to sound dismissive should we once a month shake the bottles do something to clear them in case a
1: spirit well, did get trapped that's in a why you hang them low enough to where the wind blows them because the wind blows them um, it'll blow the spirits free okay sorry
0: right. no <laughs> no that's great Really great that's history yeah fun. it sounds so weird right but yeah if you go driving down these southern streets you'll see houses with these bottles yeah, you'll see a lot of bottles multicolored trees.
1: It, it became yeah. quite fashionable in some of the um, some of the higher end urban areas of out here, and especially around in Virginia, where they would buy bottle trees off of Amazon. Um, but it, it's not quite the same thing. <laughs> it, it was like an ugly Christmas tree in their backyard. So
0: weird. So you said this is part of this voodoo hoodoo culture. This, and you said you didn't want to pinhole it as Southern magic, but it is is hoodoo it, um, a derivative, a, a, like an Americanized derivative of
1: voodoo? It is deeply uh, Americanized, and hoodoo varies depending on the region that you're in. Uh, mountain hoodoo is nothing like Gulf hoodoo. It's nothing like Bayou hoodoo. It's nothing like Gullah hoodoo. Um, complete they have similar similarities um but the intent uh behind it is completely different um it is not as much as a religion as it is a practice uh there are some that are that have made the practice a part of their family that they passed it down from one family member to the next mm-hmm. uh, not met any male hoodoo workers no male root workers which is a, a term that's synonymous with hoodoo as well except for a root worker um if they call themselves a root worker, uh, it makes me arch my eyebrow at them. Um, nobody likes being called a root worker.
0: <laughs> isn't, that, uh, isn't that essentially what witches are? They're root workers. They're people that know roots and, and the nature ways of healing. It is. Uh, ways of healing. Root worker is probably a much nicer term than witch to these people, though, right? Because that, It
1: is because a lot of the people that became root workers, uh, you know, they became root workers because they were educated by members of their family, and those members of their family were educated by their members of their family. Um, and the word witch was never part of their vernacular. They never thought of themselves as such. They thought of themselves as healers. They thought of themselves as um. There are again, I've not met many male. I've not met any well, I met one. He claimed to be one, but I think he was um smoking his roots. He wasn't um applying his roots, but. <laughs> but a root worker is slightly different uh a hoodoo worker there's the hollywood hoodoo worker the things they do for the masses um that put they put on a good show it's like going to some of the boardwalks where you'll go in and visit um some of the tarot card readers at the boardwalks they put on this amazing show with these amazing fake accents uh, to dazzle them <sighs> Now that's how they make their money. That's how uh, a hoodoo practitioner will make their money. That's how that's their day job. Uh, But behind the scenes, it's a it's a heck of a lot more different, a lot more involved. Um, Hoodoo workers they
0: play play one up for the flash and dazzle for the crowd. Exactly. They'll they'll sell they'll sell you
1: something to make somebody fall in love with you. They'll sell you a charm. Um, They'll sell you they'll sell you a a gree gree bag that will. that will bring you luck. But an actual root worker is actually a, is a medicine worker. It's and and when I use the word medicine, I'm talking about working um, with the spirits that are within these natural objects in which they work with, that they're able to name them and able to call them forth and have these individual items, these individual herbs, these individual roots, these stones, um, these elements that they use. Uh, were these were both, these
0: uh, were these brought over from Europe as they were settling here, mixed with the Native American indigenous people's culture, and and
1: kind of did. creating it, one new form. It blended even more with some of the Caribbean culture that came in as well. Um, I'm not talking about the Caribbean slave culture. I'm talking about the Caribbean culture, the Indian culture. Um, both in Puerto Rico, both in, um, Dominica, uh, almost said Dominican Republicata, um, but Dominican Republic, um, in Haiti, uh, and in parts of, um, coastal, um, South America. Okay. Like voodoo did not make its way onto, it did not hit our shores until after one, after one of the great Haitian revolts, slave revolts. And a lot of the freed slaves brought their faith with them across the Gulf, and they settled in Louisiana. They settled oh, in true. and around Louisiana and around the Gulf, through mm-hmm. Florida, and they some of them moved inland, into well they moved into Georgia as well, and they brought their traditions with them. And these traditions they blended, or that the Indians, say the Native Americans who were there, um, blended it with their traditions. They were hedge witches. They were um, Irish hedge witches who. You know, came over and it was passed along. They were able to take parts of that culture and, and, isn't it fascinating it as well
0: that all these cultures that are subsets of their own world create very similar concepts of root work, of, of magic, and so adaptable that when you kind of connect with another culture, From the other side of the world they kind of fit together like tetris right and they almost complement one another becoming stronger magic
1: it makes sense to them when they first see it um because again it comes back to belief these things do not work unless there's a belief attached to them um there's that sense of sympathetic magic attached to them um oh wow i'm going (laughs) in way deep aren't i (laughs) No,
0: that's good. I mean, we're and and folks, you are in for a supersized edition. I can already tell you of the paranormal sixty <laughs> through through voodoo and hoodoo magic. We may become the paranormal ninety today. Just fair warning. So, if you need to make a potty run, do it real quick, and then come back in here and continue to enjoy the live <laughs> program as we talk about this culture and and um, we still have a lot to cover tonight that I want to get to. Uh, well, you so you have to remember,
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm. A yacker, as you probably well know by now.
0: That's good. Uh, yeah,
1: hoodoo is more socially acceptable than any of the other variants of the faith, um, like mainstream, like uh, voodoo. It is hoodoo is greatly more accepted by the culture. Uh, the various cultures, it's not found upon as much. Well, is that because
0: They're- voodoo got a bad rap for <laughs> Hollywoodizing it and and use in books as it was always this dark magic? Because my understanding is voodoo really is not about that. Like the voodoo doll that we show in the photograph with you at, at the beginning of uh, of the show today voodoo dolls the pins are not meant to pinpoint anger and hatred and frustration if a person had heart issues you push the pin in as setting intent that that's where you're going to focus the healing
1: they're the also knees, meant for release as well if you were you were piercing um piercing their body and their spirit to release something from them as well uh, right but we, we do not hollywood well. that turns it around right i was taught by by my beloved teacher and i I miss him at more every day, every day. Papa Thomas. Um, he was a, he was a hung Um, he left during the times in Haiti when, um, Duvalier, Papa doc, baby doc were running Haiti and they were using the people's faith against them, uh, to bring terror to the people. He was able to escape, but he couldn't take his family with him. His family was eventually, um, killed by Duvalier's people. Um, so he lost his whole family in Haiti. They, they, if a Hungan um, did not toe the line and and preach the doctrine of, of of the government, then your family would pay for it. You wouldn't pay for it. You'd pay for it later, but they were going to make sure your family paid for it. Uh, but that mm-hmm. was the politics of the time in Haiti. Um, the stories he would tell me before he left right. the horrible the screams at uh. night that he heard before he left Haiti at that time and fled Haiti at that time. But he couldn't take his family with him there was no room for him, them on the boat to take him with him to to come uh to louisiana uh but he brought his faith with him um and was able to to establish his faith here in, uh, in the states um and eventually oh god have i have i rambled off subject too much um had no, we're been. here to talk about
0: voodoo and hoodoo, so you're giving us some of the background and where let you're me give you came from.
1: Let me give you an abbreviated version about I am a hungan. For those who are not aware of that, um, hungan uh, is a, a practitioner of the gray house, a practitioner of the white. Um, he who stri- a hungan strides upon the back of the white serpent as uh, of Dambala, um, whose skin was shed to make this beautiful world that we now live in whose skin reflects the sun and we walk within the rainbow of that sun. He also casts a shadow on the ground on which the darkness lives that sometimes that we have to tread in that darkness and we have to walk in that darkness carefully, but always keeping a foot in the light. And that's why Hungan, the house of the grave, we sometimes we as we're known as um the gray men, don't this is not a UFO thing. Don't even start. This is not a UFO <laughs> thing. Right? Um but sometimes um we have to see the the world not through um, rose-colored glasses. We have to see the world in shades of gray, of the way, it, and try to guide that gray back over into the the you know that rainbow light-covered world. But at the time, I was I had left the the mountains. I would graduated high school, and I was traveling across the United States. I was a, a one-man Scooby gang. I was out trying to find myself. I was actually encouraged by somebody whom I love more than life itself that we'll talk about later. She was my mentor, my very first mentor, who encouraged me to find myself both spiritually and um, spiritually mostly. She wanted me to go out to discover who I was. She said, the only way you'll do that is by traveling, is going out and meeting people. And I had a, a penchant for the bizarre and the spiritual world because of how I grew up with um, my great granny and my granny who were amazing um, mountain witches. Just loved them. I mean, they were good. They were really good, terrifying, but good. <laughs> and which we can talk about more of them later if you wish to, but we, I went, I, every time I heard a local legend or heard a local story, I would stop in that town and research it, investigate it, and talk to people. And I kept my journals as I traveled. Um, and by the way, that's what my book is based on. It's about, based on a small quantity, small story, well, a large number of stories that were taken from my journals during this time. Um, discovered a lot of terrifying things, a lot of funny things. I learned a lot about human nature. I learned about a lot about our Beautifully magical world that we live in. I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of stupid stuff. I took a lot of unnecessary risks, but I was, I was always driven by the thirst for knowledge to learn more.
0: Well, and it's gonna be exciting, see- right? as you're you're opening your new paradigms. You're seeing these magics come true. Yeah. This is no longer things of of legend and lore, but
1: of practicality They're and reality. Weird there's so many things that i saw so many things i heard about um uh the bear men who scared the hell out of me uh the bear men of um uh the great dismal swamp here in north carolina you i got to learn about them and got scared to death by them at the time um the crow man the skinner man i learned all these local southern legends and stories and learned the and was able to trace the truth of them down and track the truth of them down and realize that a lot of these things are real, um, are terrifyingly real. And I had to learn their purpose within the culture in which they were they were bred in. Um, that's neither here nor there. Let's the the day that I discovered voodoo. One of the things that's always been a part of my life. I've, I've always been, and we can talk about that another day. That's a story for another time. But I'll just mention it here. I've had a I've had a it's been described as a spirit guide. it's a, a, a young girl black hair, no eyes, red shoes, long black hair, uh, pale skin that has always been in my life as a guiding force um, ever since I was a small child has always been a part of my life. and I was walking downtown New Orleans no I was heading out of the out of the um,
0: Mike I, I have to stop you for one second because as you were saying that, through my headphones now, my microphone set up so that I can hear you and I. I heard you. Did you hear something as well?
1: No, I know what she's she's doing, but pl- go okay. on, I was going. Okay, I could
0: me. I could hear something. Almost, I don't want to call it a cry, but I don't know what. This is kind of this mm. kind of noise as you were talking. Is that normal? Do you, when you've talked to people like this, do they start hearing?
1: Yeah, from because. Your this room that I'm in the bedroom that I'm in right now yeah I'm in the bedroom I sit in my bed um, what I did in my house was I I created um, spiritual Faraday cages in my house yeah sure that I can go into you can't keep everything out right but you can keep a lot of it out but she is something I can't keep out she's always she's connected to me deeper than I wish to admit to um, you
0: said that i could hear that again the, see, i don't know audience if you're hearing it let me know i don't know if i'm hallucinating this or what but through the headphones i'm hearing the
1: you're not hallucinating dude i guarantee you you get to that you know what they call this the naked bigfoot experience
0: <laughs> that's not what i would have expected to be the naked bigfoot experience <laughs> if i'm going to be 100 percent honest with you
1: whenever whenever i bring up my little eyeless girl um and when i say no eyes it's not black eyes it's not shadow she literally doesn't have eyes and she okay. speaks in three voices she speaks in the voice of a child as a voice of an adult and the voice of an old hag uh depending on what she's trying to communicate to me is the voice that she uses um, but i was walking out of i was passing a bunch of houses outside of um
0: wait no that's old- interesting isn't that again I'm, i i take you off the derivative but we talk about witchcraft and the the moon right there the the that famous image the waning moon the waxing moon the, then they come to the full moon that's called the crone and then the and I can't yeah. remember the other names for it. Right. But it's weird that it's like basically three def- different aspects of the female nature. And you're getting the old woman, the crone you're getting the, the woman and then the child.
1: She, um, she's been there to stop me. She's been there to protect me. She's been there to guide me. She's been there to educate me. Um, she, there's a story where I um, had the opportunity to experience a, a haunted doll that somebody had. It was a true haunted doll. It was the doll. This doll was not a channel. This doll was actually had something attached to it of a young girl that had owned it. And the night after I had spoke to, um, the people about it and it was over the phone over what we're doing right now. I had one of my dreams, one of my dream walks, um, to where she appeared to me, my my little eyeless girl. But she introduced me to the spirit of that little girl that dwelt within that doll. Wow. And when that little that little spirit her time was when it came time for her to leave and go back to the doll, I wanted to follow her. I wanted to follow her into the barn where she was walking into. Um because when I dream walk and my spirit walk, it's always on my farm around my barns. Uh, my little eyeless girl actually stood in my way and put her hand up in front of me. She said, that's not for you. Go back, go home. And um, she would not let me follow that little girl into death. So so she's always been there to, to act in that sense. Um, she also gets a great deal of fun out of screwing with people, too, that I'm talking to about her. So. I apologize early, Mister Schrader. No, for,
0: it's it's for what, always great to see the aspects. <laughs> That's fine too. We're all about the experiences, and especially if this is, it seems more like a guarding and watchful spirit. She to, uh,
1: did. She well, I was told once that she's a lot more dangerous than she seems, but she's never been that way towards me. And she's been very forceful, um, but has never been. I've never felt her being dangerous towards me. But she first appeared to me when I was still living in the mountains. Um and I was still living at my great granny's house. So And she kept me from drowning in a in a creek. And that's my first encounter with her. And after that she says, I want to play with you.
0: And after that she stayed with me, played with me my entire life. <laughs> Your audio just dumped again. She's uh, we can hear it, but it's unlike you went to the bottom of the of the bottle again. Um Very strange. No, no, that's fine. You know, again, electronics, a lot of times it's believed the spirits can, can mess with the electronics. Um, Oh, I know. Uh, I don't know if you want to try shifting, just make sure that we're not just, you know, Bigfoot's out there bending your antenna so you don't get a good connection. Or if, if your, uh, guide is just mucking about with you a little bit. How about this? Yes. You're coming back strong there.
1: Better. I moved yeah. it a little bit further away from me too. And uh, the room has gotten a lot warmer and hotter at the same time, if you can imagine. Um, yeah. So there's, she's here. She's here. She's no, she's paying attention because you're somebody new to her. You're something new. And she's always fascinated by something new.
0: And what is but her name?
1: She has no name. Okay. She's well, never for the, had for it.
0: the, for that spirit that's there watching with Mike. I appreciate you. I respect you. I want to thank you for allowing us to have this moment and, uh, we come out of respect and, and want and desire to understand. So I promise that that's as far as this goes. Um, with that, Mike, I know time is fleeting in many different ways. Oh my you, gosh. You became introduced okay. to hoodoo and voodoo. You, you began working, you have made a lot of mistakes. You said, you've done a lot of things. You've learned this magic, but I wanted to touch on a very, um, I don't know what the, what the right word is, because I certainly life is a celebration and, and experiences are part of that journey. Uh, but you learn that the, that there are deep repercussions to mucking about in this environment. There's not all just light and love and and sometimes in helping others, there is a toll to pay right? Like we think of the movie, uh, final destination, right? When people cheat death, does it affect something else? Is there a, an equal or greater reaction somewhere else? Can we, can we step into that story? And are you comfortable sharing this element of that story? I do want to
1: preface it by saying just this one line and I'll just let it sit Mm -hmm. there while I talk. Death is a gift. Okay. It is truly a gift. Okay. After my times of being a hungan, um, you heard me mention earlier about my, my wonderful friend. Her name was Jacqueline Wall. She was an amazing artist. Um, she's the one that sent me on my journey to begin with. I got a call. I'm gonna
0: tell you me. what, Mike, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you for a second. I'm gonna boot you again and have you come back in just to see if we can reestablish because for this part of the story I wanna make sure we're hearing you and I think we're getting a lot of energy interference. So maybe you can ask your, your guide to step back and give you a chance to share this and, and Good clear that energy. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll try. So I'm going to put you back out into a timeout so that you can remove yourself and reboot. Again, this was, uh, um, and I, sp- speaking to Mike about this off air, it's always strange because it's, you know, it's my own internal thing. And I know that it's going to impact a lot of what you feel. Um, but Mike is facing, um, mortality. And uh, life is not a guarantee to Mike at this point in his life. Every day is precious. Every day means something. And um, Mike doesn't know how long this journey for him will continue. So I was really taken back by that when I was visiting with our friends on Bald and Bonkers over the weekend, and they shared that element of his story. And when I reached out to Mike to share that, he was very willing to do so, and that's what we're going to do now as we continue this. So Mike is back. Mike, hopefully, we've got an alliance here. That we, yes, that's better. So let's. Uh, you said death I'm, is is a gift as death well. Is
1: a gift. Always remember. Well, a I'm not. I'm not ready to open mine yet, though. So go go for it. Well, you'll understand by the time I'm done. What that was the conclusion sure. that I drew from this. Um, okay. I got a phone call that uh, my mentor Jackie, she was dying. She was at home surrounded by her friends. Um, I was on the road several days out from her house, from her farm, and he got a hold of me, finally. Told me that she was asking about me, if anybody had seen me, and he was asking me if I was close by so I could come see her, because she wouldn't live through the night. She was dying, she was very peaceful, she without pain, surrounded by her family and friends, but she had asked about me, and um, I fell apart, because there was no way I could get there in time for her to, die, to see her passing or be with her as she left this world (sighs) something that papa thomas taught me once he would always teach me bad things he would explain them to me so i would never do them he says i he'd never hid knowledge from me Mm -hmm. the knowledge that he shared with me he says i want you to know the repercussions of what i'm telling you so you never make that go out and try to find out about yourself and make mistakes with it and do it. And one of the things he taught me, um, it's called a ritual of life sharing, where you would, it's a blood ritual. It's very dark um, to where you share your life with someone who is on the verge of death to extend their life, to give them more days or more hours or more days on this earth. Um, he says something you should never do. You should never disturb. You know, that was the natural order of things. You, you don't muck with the natural order of things. He said, there will be consequences if you do that. Um, he never went any further whenever he told me, taught me, told me these stories. He said, never go any further. And he showed me the ritual on how to do it. so as I would never do it and hopes I would never do it. Well, I pulled over at a hotel, and I was in tears, I had fallen apart. I couldn't imagine never seeing her again and not being here with her when um, she was dying. And I always carried around my, my I always called it my, my black bag of bad things is where I carried um, my various and century ritual supplies in. And I took the sheets and the hotel um, towels and I prepared a ceremonial site in the floor and um, one of the things you have to do once you do it is that you, you you have to call upon your patron to do this. And in voodoo, your patron, my patron, were uh, Asuli Red Eye, Baron uh, Samadi, and uh, Papa Legba. Those were my three petron. Those are the three that I I would call to when I needed something. If I needed if I needed favor, They were the three that I would call upon the loa that I would call upon. And so I began the ritual. And part of the ritual is you have to give yourself, you have to give your life while you do it. And it involved me slitting my wrists, not to the point where um, I would die, bleed out and die, but slit both my wrists and have the life pour out of me into a bowl. And at the height of the ritual, um, I had my three patron, they appeared in the room with me. And they asked me. Each one of them asked me individually, "Is this what you want?" And I said, "Yes." You know, you cannot take you cannot take back what you've given. Do you understand? And I said, "Yes." I would do anything, anything. And I looked at Asuli Red Eye because she was crying. She was a Asuli appeared to me with her red eyes crying. That was she had sorrow for what i was doing and she asked me one. she asked me the final question how much do you want to give what she was asking me was how many how much of my life i was willing to forfeit um to keep my friend alive until i was able to reach her and I'd already calculated, did the hard calculus in my head before I went in, prepared for these questions that I would be asked. I said, I want three days. And they said, you're going to give up decades of your life. And then together they said, what do you give one last time? And I it took the knife one more time. And it was a linoleum knife, by the way. I still have that linoleum knife. And uh, I carved into my face and I carved into my arms again. And I said, I give up myself and I give myself. And um, I passed out. Uh, I woke up the next morning, you know, you know, covered in blood, pool of blood. I left everything behind me and got my vehicle. And uh, well, before I got my vehicle, I called Angus, her son, and asked how she was doing. He said, she's lived through the night. It doesn't make any sense. She's lived through the night. She's still alive. Well, I said, I'm two days out. I'll be there as soon as I can. It took me two days to reach her. What I didn't realize was with during the time it took me to reach her that she was wide awake. She was no longer peaceful. Hmm. She was in pain. She wasn't.
0: With every <laughs> wish, the, there comes a curse, yeah.
1: Because the life I gave her was not hers it was not meant to be a part of her at home. It's like using a D cell to power a vehicle or trying to bring somebody back to life with a car battery. Um, It was incompat, my life was incompatible with her because her life was gone and i was giving her a suffusion of an infusion of life that was not hers and her body resisted it and she was in agony they said she she was crying out and was in utter pain um contorting in the bed the third day when i got there i walked into the room and nobody was in the room because they couldn't stand being in the room with her because she was screaming in pain and No matter what they gave her, the pain wouldn't stop. Medicine-wise, the pain wouldn't stop. And all the air left the room. And I I heard, I heard the Baron of Saturday's whisper in my ear, this is only the beginning. And he was telling me that it was the beginning of my punishment for doing something I should have never done, that I sat at the edge of her bed that entire day and I wasn't able to talk to her because she didn't recognize anybody around her because how much pain she was in. And I had to listen to her gurgle and die on that bed, choking on her own saliva. She started biting through her tongue and she was choking on her own blood until she died in agony in front of me at the edge of the bed, but I couldn't leave the bed. I couldn't leave there. I had to sit there. And I watched that because I knew I did that to her. I couldn't go to the funeral the next day either. I couldn't see that I had done that. And I did return to the. I did return to her grave a number of days later. To apologize for what I did. And I remember hearing Asuli said there is no apologies for what you did. Now, and she says, this is only the beginning of your suffering. It took time, but my body itself began to break down over the years. Um, It started with uh, bones that wouldn't heal, right? that would break easily for no reason. And And this
0: happened, this began happening directly after this, right?
1: Your misery and physical. I started losing my teeth. I lost, I began. Losing eyesight and um, my left eye my hearing started to go there were parts of me that was breaking down it was some I my body was shutting down like if I was somebody who was see I am I'm 56 now but my body was was, was acting like somebody who was in their 80s or 90s mm-hmm mm-hmm it kept getting worse. Um, I developed a, a, you know, a heart condition. Um, I started developing various breathing difficulties uh, to where I would have fluid on my lungs. Some of it came, some of it went, some of it lingered. Um, but what happened in the last few years, last couple of years, which I believe is the end game to my punishment for what I did, to the unnatural act that I did is that uh, my gallbladder went septic um, and it spread to my body it caused massive kidney damage and liver damage it also damaged my heart even more so (laughs) Um, the doctors didn't understand how this could happen to somebody at my age um, at all All these things were happening at the same time. At somebody my age, it it didn't make sense to them. Um, I died a couple of times in the emergency room, waiting for them to to operate on me. They, I went. They had four bags of antibiotic solution of antibiotics in my body at all times to try to beat back the infection that was raging through my blood uh, because of what happened with my gallbladder. What led me to the emergency room is that I got up in the middle of the night and I went to the bathroom and I, it felt like something had stabbed me and I heard something laugh when it felt like something cold, a cold dagger went right through my chest and I collapsed in in front of the toilet. And I apparently had laid there for a couple of hours before uh, my wife found me and uh, found me unresponsive and took me to the emergency room. Uh, somehow they were able to keep me alive. I had, I got to experience a, a lot of weird and spooky stuff at that hospital because um, it was at the time when the hospitals were closed because of COVID. I had an entire floor to myself. <laughs> um, and I saw some stuff the days that I was in the hospital for weeks after the original surgery where they were trying to keep the infection under control and to see the extent of the damage that the infection had caused um it has drastically what i did uh the the decades that i gave to to get the days of time i wanted from her um have taken its toll on my body now uh i have a i i know i have a i i'm not for this world for much longer i realize that um i do dialysis twice a week now um i'm on more pills and you know, Jimmy Carter had liver pills. That's an old Southern comment. If anybody remembers that <laughs> you're my hero. Um, I've gotten to the point where I, I don't walk. I can't walk much or walk far because I get exhausted um, very easily. My stamina is gone. Um, I try to keep with my ceremonies and my practice and my faith. It gets harder and harder every day, but I know that I did this to myself that I, I, pretty much killed myself. It was a but it just took it's it just took longer than expected for it to catch up to me. And now it's it's with me. These things have repercussions, people. Yeah, that's what Papa Thomas was trying to explain to me at the time. He wanted to teach me these these rituals. He wanted to teach me these these acts of faith that I could do to teach me not to do them. He wanted to tell me he says you will a toll will be made but he never told me what it would be because he was hoping he was scaring me enough to where I wouldn't do it. But in a very selfish act of grief, I did it. I did it. And it was selfish. What I did was so selfish and I'm paying for it now. Um, I need a new kidney. (laughs) And She she paid for it with those last three days
0: that were gifted to her because like you said, it was like putting diesel in a regular engine. Uh, the energy was there, but it was not working and it was breaking down all the components.
1: I did that. I did that. And I know it's, I know it's
0: tough to talk about that and I know it's, it's tough to share, but I wanted people to hear that, that there are repercussions for these actions, these moments that you think you're empowering yourself by dipping into that magic realm that with every curse, here, with every wish there comes a curse. That's a very true aspect to reality in all aspects. Now you, you can set intention and you can, you can set things, but we, a price has to be paid for every bit of energy that's expended or expelled. And for three days, thinking three days of time for that person to live and give you a chance to get there to say your goodbyes again, being a selfish motivation with heart behind it isn't enough. And then was that three days for her in agony worth 20 years, 30 years off of your life? Um, obviously not. And, and the pain and agony and, and suffering that you've gone through. And you said you can pretty much relate this to moments, you know, or days and months within doing this practice. So for and people that are out there right now, Mike, that are delving into the world of witchcraft and, and, um, voodoo and hoodoo and, and these other magics that they think are cool because it's the trendy thing of the moment. I, I'm not putting it down. Obviously, there are different belief systems and 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 these have worked extremely well for cultures, but that's because they understand. They embrace both the good and the bad side of it, but avoid doing the bad things um, so that they know that the power is there, but know that the repercussions don't measure up to the short time payoff that, that you may get for it. You have to learn both sides, which is an important aspect of life, right? Um, is, is what it can cause you. You are somebody who's been fascinated with the paranormal and life and death and the energies and, and magic surrounding it. How does it feel now knowing you may have one month, three months, six months left to live? I mean, does that change your perceptions to what life is? and the afterlife really means.
1: Well, in my faith, I will not pass into the next world until Baron Samadhi digs my grave. So I have not seen him appear before me to dig my grave. So I feel good about that. (laughs) Um, He hasn't felt me worthy to die just yet. Uh, When I realized what was happening that i did it was a direct um, link to what i did and just to fur- just to dig this home a little bit more guys one of the traditions in my family is to plant a rose bush or a tree on the grave of the person that you love most in life uh, to grow on their grave i've planted a grand total of 32 roses on that grave and not a single one of them will live they die in the space of seven days the, 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 it always withers and dies the ground on has Brian's grave yeah, no. The ground has okay. the, her grave. No ground will have has life anymore. Um, it's almost like, I, and I,
0: I don't mean to liken it to pop culture, but it's almost like the <laughs> the meaning behind the book Pet Cemetery. Right? Sometimes dead is better. The the heart of a man is stonier by doing these things, thinking that it's something that we can do to extend these, we pay an ultimate price. That well, you taint the ground. You taint, life yeah. into
1: a natural situation. So it's. Okay. But now I respect every minute that I have and every day that I have with my family, with my friends, um, that I know my the, the journey that I've taken around the roads, these mountain roads of my mind and these mountain, physical mountain roads that I've taken, um, they've, they've come to an end. Um, I'm at peace with that. I know that
0: you're you're awaiting a kidney transplant. In all honesty, can I ask you, <laughs> if you were to get a kidney transplant tomorrow, do you believe that that would even help you or has the map been drawn? And if, if they called you tomorrow, Mike, saying we have a kidney, would you accept it knowing that it may only extend your life a short period of time and that it may... Rob from someone else a much longer. And that would be
1: life. me being selfish again. That's the self awareness. It, it took me time to achieve that self awareness that um, I was lacking at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now vividly aware of it. The reason why I allowed myself to be on the transplant list was to to have my family have a, a measure of peace. Um, that in the very beginning, when it started happening i had given up i said this is what i did to myself and i give myself to this i give myself to the punishment um uh what, what will will be and i will not be able to stop it and i won't try to even fight it and it took it, it i let myself go downhill fairly quickly but i saw the the grief um that just the grief that was coming from everybody around me and from my family that was pouring out of them that the pain that I was causing them, I remembered the pain that I had caused originally. And why am I going to cause them pain by, by giving in so easily? So I made the doctor's appointments. I started taking the pills. Um, I started taking the treatments, uh, I go to all my doctor's appointments now. Um, and it, all it's doing is extending my life. Um, a day or two here and there in the grand future of things, but not the quality. But no, it's necessarily. Not. Um, and they know that I I stay happy um, for them and for myself because you know sadness and frustration and anger has its own energy about it, and I'm in a in a place and in a practice where sometimes you don't want to have that energy build to a point where something might happen.
0: You know, you you started this part of the story off with an impactful line that as you told this story has now resonated with me even deeper with the fact that death is a gift. And I think of watching my mom uh, as she wasted away from cancer and going back to see her the last few days. And we talked, and you say it's a gift, and I, I told my mom, I said, you know, it's hard to say this, mom, because obviously I, I love you and I, I want you here as long as it can be. But I don't want you here if you're miserable and in pain. Don't hang on for me. You know, it, I love you. We had an amazing life together. And if it's easier for you to let go now, let go. And, you know, and she was gone within a day maybe that's the gift we can give to others is that it's not our holding on. It's not our desire. That is a selfish nature. I could have begged for more time with my mom, but it would have been at what cost that she would have laid there vegetative or tongue dry and, uh, you know, uh, uncomfortable and in pain and just holding on for me for the wrong reasons for me to come to terms with her death as opposed to what happened. Um, You know, when I had my journey through ayahuasca a year and a half, two years ago, I I was left with that concept of feeling PTSD over watching my mom die and watching the gurgling, sputtering last breaths. And I thought I would not wish this on anyone. And I hope to God my children are not in the room when I go. And then through that transformation, when I was in that, ayahuasca haze, I was told your mother was there for your first breath and you were there for her last. That was the gift of life that she gave you. So stop looking at it as this traumatic experience that she gave you the full cycle. She gave you, she was there for your first breath. She gave you her last breath. And, and that really resonated with me. And then to hear your story and to start it off with death is a gift. Uh, you know, I jokingly said, not when I'm willing to open right now. And I stand by that. I set the intention to live a very long, healthy life, but that's been the other aspect of it. Be careful what you wish for, because you may get a long life, but if you don't want a long, healthy, well, you know, intentioned life where your brain and all of your functions are working, you may get that extension, but it may not be what you're hoping for. So it shows the thought that needs to be put behind the power and intention that we set forth for all things. And And realization that there are repercussions to these actions, Mike. Now, well, setting aside, you got a chance. Yeah. Right. You got a chance to be there and say goodbye to your friend. Uh, Today, you sit back and look at that, and knowing the cost to you as opposed to the cost to her for staying on, which do you feel is greater in the long run? Meaning I don't which... think
1: I. I didn't handle my grief right. Mm-hmm. I should have just grieved a natural, a natural grief, a natural death. I should have grieved as, in a natural way. Um, she was a spirit artist. She would carve the images of in pieces of wood of the spirits that dwell within the woods. She would give them faces on the wood. Um. And I knew. I knew when I did it that I shouldn't have done it because she would have frowned upon that if I if she knew I was doing it, not for her, but for anybody else, much less herself. But I would have, I would have found a way to let go. And I would have dealt with the pain. And not with the memory, because the memory is much worse than the pain.
0: Well, Mike I know, speaking for myself, and I'm sure a wide swath of our audience. um, We understand your want and desire, that selfish moment. We understand that you didn't see the bigger
1: picture. And I didn't, I didn't care at the time. I didn't care. I just didn't care. But had
0: you known the
1: the price it would
0: cost your friend, you would have cared. Right. So it's not that there was, you knew that you were willing to give, willingly give up 20, 30 years of your life. But had you known the toll that she would take in those three days, I don't think you would have made that choice because it wasn't
1: just selfish, right? I wouldn't. I wouldn't have made that choice if I knew that was one of the the after effects. But as I spoke to the room that night and that dark room that was crowded with too many souls, I said I would, I would reduce this world to ashes. If I could have one more day, I started off the ritual by saying that and all the this empty room full of all these spirits, they just stepped away from me. They took a step away from me when I said that. They understood that I was set upon a a very dark path. So Hmm.
0: I I hope that going forward, Mike, for whatever time that you do have here is filled with love and laughter, and that you're surrounded with light, and that you can learn to forgive yourself for those choices. And that whatever the next level is that you find comfort there, and that you find your friend is also in a place of forgiving. And I know extending your life, you feel that you have this debt that you have to pay. And I know that you've come to terms with the fact that it is what it is and your life will expire when it's due to expire now. I hope that the intent of of other good deeds that you've done will give you an extended good time alive but I want to thank you for coming on the show today to open up the eyes of people and say the hard things and share the hard story and the realization that there has to be a balance and know that what you think might be helping others may be hurting you or people you love in the long run. So Mike, I don't know where this lands and you were not even sure that you would be alive when your book came out. When we talked the other day in November, that's why I wanted you on now so that this part of you will always live on so that this part of your story will continue to live on and encourage and educate other people. So thank you for being open and sharing
1: this with us tonight. I was happy to be here tonight with you. Very happy. Thank you. Well, folks, as we reach the end of
0: today's episode, this isn't the end of Mike's life, but this is the beginning of a new chapter in yours. Take time when you're in those moments of grief. Take time in those moments to realize that what we want when it comes to extending the life of others is not necessarily in their benefit. It is for us. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to let go. But that's the true gift that you give to the people that you love. I told my mom, it's hard to say this because I feel guilt as though I'm telling you go ahead and go. But you know the intention behind what I'm saying, and it's because I love you and I no longer want you to feel this pain, that it's okay to go. So make right in life what you can now so that it's easier to say your goodbyes. And the grief may not be any less when that person transitions, but it's easier for them. I'd like to thank my guest, Mike Coleman, author of the forthcoming book, The Naked Truth, A Mountain Boy's Paranormal Journey. We will have links up for that book as soon as it's available. And thank you all for visiting the paranormal 60 and allowing me on this journey. May the darkness be a little more light with the information that we share here. And please remember that every action has an equal or greater reaction. So be careful when participating in elements that are outside your normal realm of understanding. And understand that love is the answer. So understand that the love that you give should not come with demands and response. That when it's time to say goodbye, we do it with a clear heart and a clear conscience. I pray that for you, my friends, for my listeners and friends around the world, and I pray that for our friend Mike Coleman. Until next time, this Friday, we'll be back with more supernatural news right here with Paranormal 60.